Hey, Missio! Our reading today is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Hey, Missio. We've been saying God is at work doing something in the world around us, bringing some new reality into play. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've done is we've explored how do we participate in the thing that God is doing. We believe that God is changing the world, God is renewing the world, God is restoring God's presence through a people who are then present to the world. So we've said all of these things, but how do we as the church participate? And so over the last five weeks, we have looked at five different practices. Practices are, are ways of saying um, liturgies or spiritual disciplines, whatever language is more like accustomed to you. And what they do, these practices or these spiritual disciplines, they are ways in which we tend to the presence of God in the spaces in which we are. So one of the practices is gathering, and gathering is a way of tending to presence. And, and that sounds complicated or ethereal, but very simply it means that we're present to one another over the dinner table. And then as we have a meal together and as we listen to one another and as we like talk and share stories and engage in relationship, that we are creating a space of presence. And God said that when we gather in that way, in the name of Jesus, that Jesus would be present. And so this very normal, mundane, strange thing, God promises to be with us. So we tend to God's presence in that way, and in tending to God's presence, we're participating in the work that God is doing. So we've looked at five of these practices. Gather, welcome, which is about receiving and being received like Jesus. We look at the practice of exploring, which is a practice of paying attention to what God is doing in self and others and in the neighborhood around us, looking so that we might join God. We've talked about the practice of create, which is within our community using the passions and abilities that God has given us to, out of that reality, make something that curates God's presence in the world around us, from omelets to families to better HR structures at your company to coffee shops and everything in between. And then last week, we looked at the practice of invite. And we said very simply, but I guess not simply in an abstract kind of way, that the practice of invite is about making all of these things that we've just said, making the presence of God, the kingdom of God, tangible and present. So that happens in the stories that we tell about what God is doing. It happens as we gather at the table with these other practices because we're making something invitational, accessible. So five practices. Now, today is the last day of that series. And to like press into it a little bit further and to explore those practices in a bit more depth and a bit more like concreteness, we thought what would be really cool is to hear about them from other people besides me. Uh, people who are actually doing them in their life every single day. People who have either learned how to make these practices a part of their normal rhythm or for some reason are just really good at imbuing and embodying these practices 
in their everyday life. So we're going to do a little bit of a panel discussion. And for social distancing purposes, we're going to break the panel into two parts. So the first part will be the practice of, practices of welcome and the practices of gather with uh, Jeff and Jessica Trousdale and Haley Burke. So I'm going to invite both of them up. And they will come up here and participate in this panel with us. And then part two of the panel, we'll explore the next two, but we'll get there in a second. Everybody welcome the Trousdales and Haley. Now just as way as quick introduction, um, Haley is up here. She's talking about the practice of gather. And I, I don't know that I can name a person who has helped me better understand what it looks like to gather at a table than Haley Burke. She has... Since I've known her, which is what, five years? Yeah. Five years, um, done dinners. And it started for our house church. From my experience, it started in our house church where she would do these dinner parties, and that was the way that people got connected. If you were new to the house church, I was just like hoping that you would make it to a dinner because if you made it to a dinner, you'd feel known and seen, and all of a sudden you would never leave because you're like, oh, this is really good. Um, and you're like, I'll put up with the people if I need to. And through those practices of gathering, like my imagination for what it looks like to be a people who come to the table has been totally altered and changed to see this as maybe such a simple and yet very beautifully and powerful place to do the way of Jesus. So Haley is representing gather, and then the Trousdales, Jeff and Jessica, similarly with the practice of welcome. It's hard for me to think of people who are so um, naturally welcoming as the Trousdales are, whether that's having people in their home, whether it's just like sending out email and inviting people into your home just like really randomly, whether it's pursuing people in relationship here, um, you so consistently are a welcoming people. And there's welcoming in that you like bring people into your home and practice hospitality, but there's also welcoming in the kinds of questions that you ask and the kinds of spaces that you curate. And consistently, the Trousdales curate spaces of vulnerability and safety um, an intentionality where I feel seen, where other people have a chance to feel seen. And again, you do it, not to say you haven't learned it or like practiced it, but you do it very naturally and beautifully. Um, so I'm thankful for both of you being up here, or all three of you being up here on the stage. Um, yeah. So on that note, um, just have a couple of questions that I think will help illustrate what's happening in these practices. So let's start with um, Haley. How would you... Um, describe and explain the practice of gathering to someone who wanted to practice gathering but felt nervous or unsure or new to it and wasn't sure? Yeah, so I think, um, oh, gathering is so important to Jesus. Uh, he asks us to gather and then promises to be present to us as we gather. So that feels like enough reason. Um, but there's this good quote that I really like. Laura, could you just put it? up there. Um, something tremendous happens when we care for each other through meals. Our communities are strengthened by the filaments of compassion and assistance and shared experiences that we weave from kitchen to table, from one home to another. Mm -hmm. I just love that idea that like being known and cared for can be so strengthening and mm -hmm. connecting, and that's been really true um, in our house church and in um, other dinners that I've been able to be a part of. Um, I would say if you're nervous to do it because you don't often host, like ask somebody to do it with you. Um, There's some amazing people in this community um, who are like making the Christmas kits because they're on this hosting team and they just have the gift of gathering. Um, call me, I'll connect you with them. Um, it doesn't have to be fancy, it just has to be intentional. Mm. 
Yeah, that's a good point. I'm, thank you for naming that. There's a hosting team, and maybe we'll like, send out the information in an email or some way to get connected with them, because they would love to like, coach you. That's been, I think, the most helpful thing about learning what gathering looks like with you, is that there's a coach, and there's like a help where it felt very inaccessible at the beginning, and now it begins to feel so much more accessible. Um, that's great. Um, all right, same questions to you guys. How would you describe or explain the practice of welcoming to someone who wanted the practice but felt nervous or unsure? Sure. <laughs> well, I guess I'll start. Um, so, like to me, I'll just go to Scripture in, in Luke 14, 12, where Jesus is saying the parable of the great banquet, and he, I'll just read it. He, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And I guess, like, welcoming to me is uh, that, that challenge of not just being hospitable to your friends and to your family and to people you know and very easily connect with, but also... Um, doing exactly what Jesus has called us to do, um, which is to extend yourself out there to people that you might not otherwise naturally do. Um, and, you know, and I also then just think of you know, the most famous passage that's out there, uh, John 3.16, where God gives up his son to welcome us into the kingdom, right? Like Jesus died for our sins and God very intentionally did that and sent Jesus. Um, and so that's like, I can't imagine how hard that would be. I can't imagine as a father sending my daughter for, to die for my friends, much less you know, people who don't know me or hate me or you name it. Um, and so I guess welcoming is, it, it can be very hard, but it's, uh, it's something that God and Jesus have already done for us in such a beautiful way to welcome us into the kingdom and uh you know i don't know i would just describe it as like extending what they've done for us out into the world yeah um so i wrote my response down and i often feel nervous and unsure so i don't know if those feelings necessarily go away but they do lessen the more mm. you practice um and so for me like welcome to me is offering a space whether it be your home or a part of your life, for people to have a sense of belonging, and it's unconditional and mutual. Um, the unconditional part is something that stuck with me a long time ago is that there's a difference between welcome and fellowship, and welcome um, is an invitation to everyone, no conditions. Um, n no conditions like what might separate you from that person and, and what the differences that might be challenging, and whereas fellowship is connecting with people that might be more natural and, and comfortable. Yeah. Um, and then on the mutual part, it's like an openness. There's an openness and authenticity that you offer in that space to your guest and to God. So in other words, it's, it's um, being vulnerable with mm -hmm. your guests and inviting them to be vulnerable with you also. I love that. I, there's a few things that you said that I think are really helpful like one that you, you still feel unsure and nervous, which is like really affirming to those of us who are new to practicing welcome or who are introverts like me or who are just like afraid of most people like me also. Um, 
And like, it's nice to know that people who are good at welcoming also feel that way. And then I'm thankful, Jeff, for what you said in, in light of Christ, like it's the extension of what Christ has done for enemies and for friends and for those who are unlike you. Like there is something so, I think we, especially in like the season that we've been in with COVID and the season that we've been in with like our, our politics, like the question I often get asked is like, what do we do? How do we like divide, like how do we bridge that divide? And I feel like what you just named is like, oh, here's actually one of the practices in which we do this. Like Christ is extending this to people who are literally the enemies of God, literally those people who are antagonistic towards, and yet that's exactly who he's moving towards. And so you, it feels like it's tangible and yet also so powerful to say like this is what welcoming can be. Yeah, I love that. Okay, question number two. Um, we'll go back to Haley. What have you learned through your time of practicing, either about God, yourself, or others? I think a big thing that I've learned is how present God is in community, which is not surprising because he asks us to be in community. But I think when I started doing dinners, like, it wasn't, I wasn't like, oh, what are, like, all these things that that God is going to do and, like, the relationships that are going to develop? I was like, I want to, like, love people by making food for them. And it's just gotten so much bigger than that and it gets often reflected back to me because I forget sometimes because I get obsessed with like napkins or everything being perfect and beautiful um and then I miss out on it and then people have to reflect back to me like this is like a holy space like God loves for us to live in community community together and people have felt really like known and seen and like joined house church because like their first interaction with house church was through dinner parties, so I think that is that always really stands out to me. Um, and the thing that I sometimes forget is just how present God is in community. Yeah, so true. I think that's the thing about all these practices that we miss is that it's the merging of something that is very ordinary with something that is very extraordinary, that God is present to us in the elements. Like, we do that when we come to the table. It's bread and juice in a weird plastic cup, and yet God is promising to be with us in that moment. And the same thing that's happening in that moment is what Haley's been describing that happens at the table in our homes or in our friends' homes or even at restaurants is that God is breaking into that space and something that is so ordinary. And the question is just really, are we paying attention? Or do we have someone else to like tell us to pay attention to it? Yeah, so good. Um, what about you guys? Like, what do you learn through the practice? Um, so I've learned as I've opened up myself in home to people, I, God keeps teaching me how much I can just trust him and how much he loves me um, in those spaces. And sometimes it's really hard um, being that vulnerable, but God tends to use those moments to, just to teach me and, and to see people how he sees people. And I often learn that it's not so much what I do for others, but rather what God is doing in me mm-hmm. when practicing. So. Yeah, I wrote something down, totally forgot what I said. So, <laughs> But um, in thinking about it, like, so welcoming is something that I've learned is still very scary to me, actually. I mean, I'm so often concerned about uh, is this situation going to be awkward or am I going to be rejected or, um, you know, you name the fear. Like there's so much fear that holds us back, that holds me back from engaging in welcoming. 
Um, and so, you know, that's, I guess, the first thing that I've learned is just like, okay, I still have this fear and I really just, it, it takes a lot of intentionality to uh, turn that over to Jesus, frankly, and just like take the step that I need to take or that I desire to take to welcome the person that I'm seeking to welcome. And then uh, I guess number two, what, what, what you learn very quickly about other people is everyone wants to be welcomed. Mm. Like none of us don't want to be welcomed um, that uh, I shouldn't say none of us, but very few people <laughs> don't want to be welcomed. And so when you extend that welcome to someone, I mean, I think very quickly you realize like, oh, this person desires this and you know, it creates these spaces of connection that you might not otherwise have uh, if you, you know, live into fear. Um, so I guess just like, yeah, we all desire this and mm. yet we let fear hold us back so much. Yeah. At least I do. Oh, totally. I, I know that's my own experience, just letting fear hold me back from listening, being vulnerable, being vulnerable, like creating space. And I think like that both of what you said is so powerful is that fear holds us back because we, at least in my mind, I tend to write what I think is going to happen before anything ever happens. Like I mm -hmm. assume rejection or I assume like my insecurities or what's going to define this moment. And then I'm not vulnerable with myself. And so I don't have that moment of being surprised at like what's reflected back or what I'm experiencing back. But like the Jessica, to your point, like every time I've known, every time I've been invited into a space of welcome, like, um, this is not exactly how you said it, but it made me think of like, I'm surprised at what is received in that moment. And so thankfully so, that it was not expected and it wasn't controlled and it wasn't predictable, and yet it was something really beautiful and surprising and sometimes really challenging. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. that's exactly right. Those are really getting up there. Okay, last one for this first panel, which is this. Um, do you have a prayer um, or hope or a word of encouragement for the rest of us as we learn to practice gathering, Haley? Yeah, I really liked how you said, I think it was during your create sermon that we create what we worship. So I think the thing that I hope is that like as you gather and kind of experiment with that practice that you wouldn't be doing it just because you wanna make food though it's super fun, um, but that you would do it be, like out of this love and worshiping Jesus and that the fruit of it would be um, seeing Jesus in the people around you and feeling so deeply known and loved yourselves. Hmm. I love that. Yeah, I love that. But you too. Prayer or word of encouragement or hope? Mine's pretty simple. I, I guess like just be yourself um, I think I spent a fair amount of time trying to assimilate to others, and so there's a lot more freedom in just being myself and being brave. Um, and we serve a big, abundant God, mm -hmm. and he's got you. Yeah, I guess, like, as I, you know, we think about the time we're in and COVID, and it, it's, I think, easier and easier not to extend welcome right now, right? Um, it's very easy to isolate. It's very easy to say that, um, I, I guess there's just a lot of things that can very easily hold me back from mm -hmm. being welcoming. Uh, and so I guess I, my prayer for our community and for just Christians at large is that we would be a people of welcome, even and maybe especially in these hard times. And that doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you are, I mean, it can mean any number of things. I guess it just requires like creativity and intentionality. And so mm -hmm. I, my prayer is that we would be intentional. My own, my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we would just uh, 
um, really respond to God's call. I mean, that, that passage in Luke, that is Jesus directly challenging us to do this thing, to be welcoming to people that we would not normally be welcoming to. So who is that person? Who is that group? Um, and do it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you know, I'm from Oregon, so I'm a Nike fan. Just do it. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think you can say it out loud that it's copyright issues, you know? <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, let me, can I offer these prayers up real fast? We'll pray, and then um, we'll move over to the second panel. Jesus, thank you that you're with us. Um, I think of what Haley said in that. Would you be the, like the center of our hearts and our imagination so out of the abundance of you that we would create and gather and extend welcome? And that because of who you are, there would be no fear in being ourselves and, and, and as Jessica said, in attempting to assimilate or attempting to change, but that we would have the freedom of the abundance of you to be who we are. And then in that, like Jeff prayed, that we would be willing to risk and to welcome. There's so many things that would, that would make that difficult in this moment. There's COVID, there's partisanship, but the truth is every era of, of being a follower of Jesus, there has been difficult things that stopped us from welcoming. So would we still be a people of welcome? And out of the abundance and goodness of you, would that be the thing that distinguishes us in this world, that we are a welcoming people? God, thank you for this group and these leaders and the way they inspire us and make this tangible. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Would you uh, thank the Trousdales and Haley? Yeah. That's awesome. So for uh, panel number two, we're going to look at the last two practices um, of create and explore. And so I'm going to invite up Josh Rosenthal and Rebecca Analoski. Um, and as they're coming up, I'll give a, just a bit of an introduction to them. So Rebecca, who is up here, going to be talking about the practice of explore. Um, there's so many amazing things that I think she does that are exploratory. And I remember, I thought this is like, I didn't actually run this by you. So, um, but I remember one of the first times we read coffee, you were talking about the, the way you do choreography. If you don't know, uh, Rebecca's a dancer, a choreographer. And it was such a beautiful description of listening to the other dancer, listening to failure, and letting that process shape what was happening in the dance. And I was like, what a perfect example of someone who's exploring in their work. But then recently, you, like, you and Scott bought a home, and it's been like a challenging neighborhood for you to live into, and so you've been practicing explore in your neighborhood as you're trying to figure out, like, what does it look like for us to be here, and what does it look like for us to live here, and we feel uncomfortable, but like, how do we get to know people? And um, So I just feel like you're doing explore in like, a creative way, in a vocational way, and then also in this like, personal way as you just try to navigate your home. Um, so I'm excited to have you up here. And then Josh, um, over here, um, similarly, you, I, 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 you would maybe speak better than this if it's, a, if it's a learned thing or if it's just like a natural thing. But in my mind, you practice create so naturally. Um, Josh, I don't think most people in this room will know this, but when, jo- when Missio started, pretty soon after, Josh was our first worship pastor um, so you were creative in the church context. You had been with church plants all over. So it had been like that had been a natural way of you creating. But then in your journey here, you were like, and you'd been music and you had like a personal music career. You were in a book. There's like a lot of things that are like creative outflows of you. But then you began to pour all the energy into like La Barba and other small businesses and began to find that as like the creative outlet for your 
like who God made you. And I feel like that's such a beautiful story because you're a person who like channeled it all in the church and then was like, you know what, I'm actually re-evaluating where I put that creative work and now I'm going to put it into the city, into these coffee shops that are not necessarily like church work, but they aligned with who I am and how God made me in a really beautiful and inspiring way. So yeah, thankful to have both of you up here. I think, um, yeah, super cool. Okay, so Rebecca, first question is to you. Um, how would you describe and explain the practice of Explore to someone who wanted to practice but felt unsure, nervous, wasn't even sure how to do that? Yeah, I feel like this is, these are all really good questions. And listening to the last two, the last uh, panel is just like humbling because I think we're people that want to understand and we, every moment of our lives, we're putting things in this box and trying to make sense of how things are working so that we can negotiate how we make sense in that space. And I think with Explore, it's really hard because um, for me, I found that I don't know much. And the more I pretend to know or the more that I look at what I have, my experiences, my life, and then I um, project that on someone else that I'm interacting with, um, the more I find that I'm failing the interaction to assume that of them. And so with exploring, for me, it's really just knowing that being a leader is to look at other people around you and figure out what their strengths are and how to be humble and how to listen to everyone else's skills. Mm. And so exploring to me has been like, um, humbling myself in that practice daily and figuring out how to not assume of other people and to give space to hear. And that's really hard for me. <laughs> yeah, I hope that makes sense. That's awesome. That's super helpful. I, I love, there's a few things that you said that I think are really powerful. Like one that you don't know as much and the more that you think you know, the less you tend to listen because you put assumptions on other people that then rewrite their narrative or their story or the questions that they're asking. And then I love this idea that it's like exploring is about like this humbling action. And, and I was thinking about that when we work through the sermon on Explore, that there's this humble discovery, which I think is a really fun way of thinking about it, that if we're willing to not know everything, then mm -hmm. we're going to be excited about what we learn. There's a lot of things to discover about who we are, about who God is, and what God's doing, and what's happening in the people yeah. around us. Yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, Josh, same question to you. How would you describe or explain the practice of create, especially this practice is a little ethereal, I think, in some ways, to someone who is like nervous, unsure, or new to the idea? Yeah, I mean, I thought a lot about it. And first, Johnny, good job in introducing the four of us, like the way that you did. It's very honoring and I'm just thankful. Um, if I see creativity as a spectrum because we all engage creatively in certain ways, whether we like it or not, or whether we know it or not. Um, and I think on, on one side, it's like this um, sort of, see the way I wrote it out here, like it's you, you, you create as a means of like catharsis, or you create unconstrained. You, you create without an audience, and it's extremely useful and beautiful, and helpful, and no one will ever consume it. And that's another value of it. Like you can be free to do what you need to do, and then you move all the way to the other side of the spectrum, and you create for survival. Um, an example of that was uh, shout out to Jeff. Uh, uh, I needed to get creative to avoid bankruptcy this year because some of my ideas 
put me in a challenging position financially. And so you have like this creativity that is purely about how to survive. Mm. And it's almost a repressive creativity. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It just means it's like it's the opposite of cathartic. It's not like a releasing thing. It's a thing that you're constrained by that you have this problem that if you don't solve it, you do not survive in a certain way, not necessarily life or death, but sometimes. And so I have this, so the whole other side of the spectrum is this, um, it's all about the output, it's purely practical, and if the cathartic side is pure, um, I would say that this other end, of the con other end of the spectrum is contaminated. And all those words sound negative, but they're not. There's just this reality that you have this massive span of everything that you do that requires some level of the use of your imagination to come up with an original idea. And that is creativity. So if you have this private worship that's cathartic, that's not consumed, I think you move the next, the next level up of that is, is hobby. Like uh, you've got some free time, you could either go for a run or you could paint. And it's becoming more of who you are. And then I, I, right dead in the center, I, I call Etsy. So you're gonna still have your day job, but you're gonna <laughs> open your Etsy store and you're gonna try and make some money off of it not solely for the purpose of making money, but also money as a means of survival, money as a means of mm. provision for your life, and you, you, you think your creativity could become that thing. Then after that, you're professional, where you can call on your creativity anytime in a way that you know that people would want to consume it. Uh, Adrian Fry comes to mind, like a professional, a professional creative type to someone who's a hobbyist is somewhat mind-blowing. How can you call on creativity anytime and get a paycheck uh, that just that's discipline that's life in, 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 in even gifting and then you're at survival so I would say this is this this is the spectrum but reduced it's the use of imagination for um, original ideas that haven't been seen by the world yet hmm. I like it a lot I, I, I appreciate you putting it on a spectrum um, I also feel like it reveals a lot about how your brain works that you <laughs> were the only person on here who gave us a spectrum overthinks yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I think it's helpful because I, I think that we often want to reduce what it looks like to be creative humans. And we've said that like we're made in the image of God, and God is a creator, and so we are all creative humans, but it doesn't look the same. Like, mm -hmm. and so I appreciate the spectrum that you just named because, like, and then referencing Jeff, like a bankruptcy lawyer, like there's this creativity that comes out of like survival and need, and then there's the creativity that we maybe often traditionally think of, like, yeah, painting or sculpting in your room, like in the whole spectrum looks like being image bearers. Mm -hmm. And all of it can be a part of this like story of yeah. church and, and Jesus and kingdom. Uh, yeah, super powerful. So question number two, back to Becca, what have you learned through your time of practicing either about God, self, or others? Oh man, this is a good <laughs> question. Um, I have learned that the word ability is not what I thought it was at the beginning. So I, I like to look at, everyone likes to work within an area that they're comfortable with, and so that's like what we feel able to do. And I feel that that word of my ability has been really transformed to, um, I don't know what I'm able to do, until I start trusting where God has been calling me. And so where I might feel I'm not good at public speaking or all of these things that I, all these questions I have in exploring, I realize that once I step into the process of exploration, my abilities are beyond what I thought they were. Mm. Um, 
it makes me, I don't know, maybe I'm, I, I'm not the best person to ask about the Bible, but isn't it that Moses was doubting that he could speak? Yeah. And something that God was calling him to do. And so obviously God like gave that to Aaron, but I feel like that was something that Moses did have the potential to be that. And so I think with exploring, it's like being honest with your doubts mm -hmm. and knowing that God is big enough to be generous with your doubts and to hear your doubts. And you can't censor your like heart from God. And so if you feel insecure, I think it's really important to be authentic and honest with him and say it and say it to people around you. And then hopefully, I don't know, that's what I've learned the most, to be honest with my doubts. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, I love that. There's, there's two things that you said that I think are really powerful, which is like one, being honest with your doubts. I think, I think sometimes in religion and Christianity, the concept of being honest with your doubts is like a bit nerve wracking because you're like, what if I give up control or a sense of security or a sense of comfort that like I'm supposed to hold really tightly because that's somehow a connection to how much I'm trusting God. But I don't think that's true at all. Like you're right about Moses is a great example where he's like, I don't know that I can do this. And you see that running throughout the story of the Bible, people who are unsure and questioning. And doubt doesn't undermine those things, but instead doubt's an invitation into something bigger and more deeply trusting. And then I love what you said about ability, which is like the more you explore, the less like that insecurity about ability is an issue. Yeah. And I think that's true about other people, and it feels so true, especially as we turn to like the work of creating, because it feels like we undermine ourselves when it comes to thinking about what does it look like for us to join what God is doing in the world around us, because we're like, oh, I don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. And you start to explore, and you're like, oh, like actually, it doesn't take as much as I thought it was going to, or, it's, or it takes something different, and I actually have those things, or my community has those things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's beautiful. Josh, what about you? What have you learned... Um, yeah, I, I think in, in thinking about your, your sermon on it, talking about like being pragmatic around your uh, creating it in a way that ends up marginalizing. Um, so I think maybe a good definition might be like, let's say a, a massive bank where there's hundreds of thousands of employees and the person who's making decisions on behalf of the janitor over here on 8th South, you know, like that disconnect uh, allows the person way up here to make impersonal decisions about this person that actually could wreck their life and they will never know about it. I think about, um, like, I still want to, I still want to do big things. Like, I still want to dream massive. I want to have something that requires 100,000 people to execute it. I think about the mission as it's coalescing at Missio uh, of joining God in the renewal of all things. Like, I want to dig in and I want to do that really big. So how do you how do you do something huge without marginalizing everybody in it while holding intention? Uh, there's just certain things that you gotta have done, like certain roles. You've gotta have someone practically that does snow removal and they're under contract and they only come when it snows. So how do you care about that person but also make our mission huge? And, and to me that's, uh, or ex the execution of the mission be exponential uh, is, the work of like that professional kind of creativity, but bringing along the people who are hobbyists or the people who only have created in their room to that point. How do you take the mission and drop it in and say, hey, everybody, bring what you have around this thing, and then we're all going to go do it. And here's, here's the, probably the scariest thing to someone who risks and says, I have some creativity, I'm going to come do it, is what they bring to us actually doesn't fit into what we're trying to do. 
And so then they walk away discouraged. And so there's this challenge of like, well, did I, did I, was I just using them as a pragmatic tool or is the mission driving a certain mm. type of creativity that has to happen and this wasn't that person's moment? Mm. Like holding all that stuff in tension is the, both the pleasure of creativity mm. and the terror of being in charge of others who are creative. Mm. It's because you don't, if, it, if, it, if on that spectrum, if they're moving from, I will never show anyone my creativity to hobby and you snuff that out, that's, a, that's I think, a sliver of what you were talking about in your sermon. Yeah. Now they've just become a pragmatic use to our mission. So what I've learned about creativity in my life is how do you, how do, you do big things with a lot of people without marginalizing anybody in the chain? Mm -hmm. Wow. It's more so I've learned to ask the question. I, don't, I haven't learned the answer. <laughs> you know? I learned a new question. Yeah. yeah. No, totally. I think that's like, uh, I, after that sermon on create, that was the thing that I walked away with wrestling the most also, which is like, it is very easy to turn relationship into pragmatics or like pawns and to be absent, and which is what you were naming, like that we get disconnected from the people around us for the sake of some purpose, but then you're all driving at something. And I think like, I don't have an answer to it either, but I think the thing that I'm beginning to learn is like that the way in which the church engages is different is at least by being present, right? Like, which I think is the thing that you're actually, you're very good at. Uh, being present to the people around you, creating spaces to be present, spaces to listen, spaces to attune, and so that the work that the church is doing is always, not that, not that non-Christians can't be present, they're beautifully present, but like that, that would be the unique driving thing of the church is that we're working to be present in the work that we're doing, you know? And I always say, well, you do this so well, like we're all going to gather at just the, like Seabird, and we're going to get a drink together, and we're just going to listen and hear and talk to one another, and like who knows what comes out of it, but we were seen and heard and known and like... Yeah. You know, you bring people into the creative process, like when we did Creek Tea together and it was like, different people had different visions for like how the vibe was gonna look, what the books were gonna be, and that I feel like is a form of presence that we're all creating together yeah. and listening to one another. Um, so you may not, I'll let this say, you may not have an answer, but I do think you're kind of embodying an answer mm. to the question in a lot of ways, which is really cool. Um, okay, last question. Rebecca, do you have a prayer or a hope or a word of encouragement for the rest of us as we're learning to practice Explore? Yes. Um, I think an, a word of encouragement would be to maybe view the disruptions or the things that are causing friction in your life to maybe view them a little differently or maybe be less quick to to think that this is a negative thing on my personality or my environment or this is bad and I need to just get rid of it and maybe to view disruption with more time, give it more time of why is this happening and maybe this thing that you're encountering is actually something that God is calling you to be involved in healing and so Maybe not, though. And I think the thing that I've encountered, which is why I'm offering it as encouragement, is there are a lot of things that I'm really quick to assign a value of this is bad for me, which means bad means get it away from me. Mm. And that's, um, I don't think how Jesus lived. Um, he usually went closer to those moments of friction. But I also think if, if, if you know it's bad for you and you've prayed about it, <laughs> like take it with a grain of salt. 
But I think just assigning negative value on something that's causing friction in you is something that we've been trained to do in this society. But I think God's heart is like asking the question of why and why is it, maybe it's actually my perception that's causing the friction. Maybe it's my heart that needs to change. Um, so I think that's what I would encourage while you're exploring these questions or your neighborhood or people or politics. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, I love that. It, it makes me think too of what Jeff and Jessica said, which is like, there's uncertainty. There's un, you're nervous. You're just like trying to welcome your enemies and that's uncomfortable. And that, that is a point of friction. Yeah. And so then the question of exploring is like, if you write that off then you'll never enter in, mm -hmm. And you've just immediately stopped yourself from practicing welcome. Yeah. And so explore. I always feel like explore is like such a it's like such a baseline practice we're doing all the time because otherwise we're not going to get to those other spaces of yeah. like working on ourselves to enter in, working on ourselves to create to take that because you even named risk and it's like that's a point of friction. And so if you've not done some work, that can be very hard to do. Yeah. So I love that. That's a great answer. Josh, what about you? Prayer, or hope, or a word of encouragement for the rest of us? Um, yeah, I would say. There, there's a piece to creativity that we, uh, there's, there's two pieces and there's one that, we, and we all need to be in the position of both of them. Uh, I am not able to create without uh, a name, uh, probably 50, 50 names long of people who believed in me mm. over the years. And so uh, I also wanna try and find those people. I, I also like to bring people along with me. I'm, I'm always talking about how do you balance the power because sometimes the way that hierarchies work is people start to work their way up them and then they just, everything that they take, they keep it and they keep it and they keep it and it gets bigger and bigger. And so how do you balance that power out by bringing people along with you? Anytime you get to go into a new room, how do you bring somebody with you into that room? Well, the only reason that I think that way is because there's, a, there's three dozen people who did that for me. Mm -hmm. um, from my parents to, to my brothers to um, a lot of names in, in music that were helpful to me when music was my life. And then pastorally and, and spiritually and then in business, like the, the name, the number of people. And so the, I, I am the expression of, you know, 40 people's creativity mm -hmm. because they gave it, they, they looked at me and, and gave me what they had. And so in turn, I've, I've tried to do that, but I'm also still in the position right now with things I'm trying to do where I desperately need people mm -hmm. to believe in me still. And so I think what, I, what I've learned is that you've got to be that person so for one, stop feeling sorry for yourself if you, if you can't get some things going. Like find someone to believe in and empower them while you're still kind of in your own waiting room. And if you are going, uh, it, so, but if you need someone, also reach out and say, I, I, I want to move from hobby to Etsy store. I don't know how to get there. How do I get there? Or, hey, I'm, I'm working three jobs and I want to turn this into one job. How do I get there? Uh, reach out. Like I feel like that's the... That's the hardest work of creativity is the vulnerability that's in it. And, and if you can surround yourself with people who believe in you and who will push you, and then you can then surround other people and believe in them, I think that's the way that you eliminate ego and do the best possible mm. work. Yeah, yeah, that's a great answer. I, that's the thing I'm learning a lot from you is how communal any good work is. Mm. And you forget, I think sometimes, in, and maybe it's just American individualism, but we want to write the story as just us. This is like one, one guy against the world, uh, and you're like, oh no, even when you think that, it is still deeply communal and deeply historic, and I'm like, I'm riding a wave of people before me and people who come after me, and recognizing that and being a part of it means you get to do something beautiful. Mm -hmm. But if you're just lying to yourself about being solo, then you're gonna miss that chance also. 
Um, so good. Um, on that note, I would like to offer those prayers up, mm-hmm. and then we'll kind of begin to move into the second part of our service. But let me pray those things. Um, Jesus, again, thank you that you're with us, that you promise to be with us as we practice. And so would we be a people who explore, who pay attention to the work that you're doing in us and others and around us, that we would look in the neighborhood, that we would not write value over those things that, are, that make us nervous or those things that make us scared or those things that um, defy our expectations, that we would not define their ability, we would not define their value, that we would not call them good or bad just because they um, hit some fear point in us, but that we would discern and explore and pay attention. God, as we, explain, as we pay attention, would we, would we give witness to the, the community of people that, is, uh, that you have put us with? the historic community that you've brought us through, the people that you've put us directly around to enable us and empower us and encourage us to participate in the thing that you're doing in our lives. Would we see that? Would we recognize the bonds of connection? Would we ask for help? Would we join with and do together? Because you've named us a communal people. And out of community, we get to make good things. God, lead us, guide us, help us to explore, and help us to create. Your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. So there's one practice that we didn't have a panelist for, which is the practice of inviting. Uh, And the primary reason was it felt very helpful to have panelists talk about these practices first because it's kind of out of them that we learn how to be an invitational people. We learn how to invite through welcoming, and we learn how to tell good stories that are invitational through listening and exploring. And so we wanted to hear these other panelists talk. And then the other reason is because we wanted to do inviting. Sundays are an invitational space, and so when David comes and plays, he'll be inviting you to enter into the story through song. And before that and with that moment, we invite you into the story of God through communion. As Haley named When we gather at the table, God is present to us. And when we take this communion, we believe that God is present to us. And as the Trousdale's name, we believe that God is welcoming us into the kingdom at this table. And at the table, we're invited to explore what is God doing in me? What is God doing here? What is God doing around us? And out of the exploration of that table and out of the invitation and the welcome that happens at that table, God is actually creating something new in and through us that we're invited to extend with others into the world around us. So instead of talking too much about the practice of inviting, we should just do it. So, Monsieur, let me pray one more time. David will begin to play, and then I invite you through these weird little plastic cups to respond to God's invitation to you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you have invited us to your table to gather in your name where you promised to be present, where we would encounter you, and in encountering you, we'd be welcomed into your people. Despite what we bring, despite our baggage, despite our wounds, our doubts, our questions, all of it is welcomed in your home. In the confidence of you and the abundance of you, would we be a people who explore and pay attention, unafraid, without assumptions? In our exploration, would we then be a people who see what it is that you're doing and join you in our creative abilities?
God helps us to see it, to pay attention to it, and to know that in you, what feels risky and terrifying, well, it's just not. Because you're good. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. Mr. we invite you to continue worshiping with us.